Morning, church. Morning. Happy Sabbath. Well, it's good, good to be back and see my church family here and, uh, and see smiling faces and ready to worship God this morning. And like I mentioned earlier, um, Pathway to Health was a very successful event. Um, it didn't mean that it didn't go without hiccups. Uh, um, there, there was an incident on, um, I believe it was uh, the end of the day, the first day we had on Wednesday, where they had all the individuals come in, and at the end of the day, there were people who were lining up since wee hours in the morning. Okay, some of them even camped out overnight. And unfortunately, because of a lack of uh, medical practitioners and volunteers, they weren't able to see everyone. So there was a wee bit of an issue there, and they had to uh, had security come in and um, calm down the individuals and make sure that every everything was um, in order. And fortunately, we'll st- we were still able to service, like I mentioned earlier, 6,800 individuals, and that came along with almost 800 Bible studies. Imagine that. And uh, this is the, really the work of the gospel. The right hand of the gospel is medical missionary uh, mission work and health reform to allow people to live a vibrant and healthy life, really. Because the more that they can live and live abundantly, they'll be able to not just experience the love of God for longer periods of time in their life, they're able to share it with others as well. Um, it came in about, let's see, around 2 o'clock, 2.30 this morning. We came from with a family from a trip to Colorado. We were hoping to arrive a little bit earlier, but that didn't work out as uh, some trips go, road trips go. So we're thankful for traveling mercies for the Lord, from the Lord and that uh, you know, all my family was able to come back safely. And there were just some beautiful views up there in Colorado. So... Uh, it was it was worth going. Before we go into our our message this morning, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and invite the Lord to be with us this morning. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the time that uh, we have now with you this holy and precious Sabbath day. We thank you, the Lord, that um, you have blessed us so far. And though we are not without our challenges and trials, that you have kept us and upheld us with thy mighty right hand. I pray in a special way that you be with this message this morning. Anoint my lips and may the truths found in your word be as clear as you would have them to be to us this day. We pray all these things in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I wasn't able to quite get the scripture reading out early enough this morning, but it is found in Romans, if you open your Bible with me, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So if you can grab a Bible and open to the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible tells us, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, the title of our message this morning is Is God interested in quantity or is He interested in quality? 
Let's find out. In our mission to make disciples of every nation, we have to abide. Okay, those of you who have built anything who have worked with vehicles or uh, worked in construction, we have to abide by a blueprint or a set of instructions or a manual laid out for us that we may understand how things work or how things are put together. And the same thing is true with our mission to bring the gospel to the world. What is our blueprint? It is found where? believe it's in your hands, Word of God. Now, I remember, personally, as a young child, I had an obsession with Legos. And in the rare occasion, and it was very rare, that my parents agreed to a purchase of a small Lego set for me, I would turn into a bundle of happiness and joy. I couldn't wait to go home to open the little box and tear through the little plastic bags that separate the pieces into organized piles. And I understood the basic principle that in order to create the model depicted on the, the nice box, I had to faithfully follow the accompanying instructions. Well, fortunately, the, the makers of Lego were wise enough to include nifty pictures of the parts as well as detailed instructions so that I was able to assemble the model. Now, it is true. I did have the freedom to <clears throat> make my own projects with the pieces that were included. But when I deviated from the instruction sheet, the result was a funny design that didn't quite work the way the Lego project designers intended. There were just enough parts in the kit to complete the project. However, when I used my own inefficient methodology, I was invariably either short of pieces or found myself with many pieces left over. Now, imagine the frustration that our loving God must feel when His people try to put together a church using human methodology and logic. Now on top of that, add the emotional tirades and bicker fighting that often end up becoming the main show in our board and constituency meetings. I've been to many. I've seen this happen. Alas, true discipleship diminishes when we seek unbiblical methods to grow and manage our churches. Is God's primary concern about numbers? Or is it about the individual's walk with Him? Now, let me make it clear. I believe that these questions set up a false dichotomy or a false dilemma that is perpetuated in many circles, even in many of our own churches today. In order to understand what Christ expects of His church, we must understand that He is the grand designer. Amen? And like the manufacturers of the Lego sets, He has a set of instructions for His people to follow. Now, Here's principle number one. The Word of God is His blueprint. 
Now this goes without saying. Christianity would have no reason to exist if the Bible were merely a set of mythical stories and quote-unquote good ideas, right? Now, those of you who are abreast of, of what goes on in higher educational circles, you might understand the term higher criticism. Now, Christian advocates of this method of higher criticism propose ideas that can never get anywhere because they cannot escape the biblical origins of Christianity. Therefore, they are caught up in what computer programmers call an infinite loop. Yet still, they constantly chip away at the foundations that prop them up. And the only logical position is to give the Bible full authority in all matters of Christianity. Now, Paul said, and this is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Now, I know you all are familiar with John chapter 3, verse 16. There's another 3, verse 16 that we should all know. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that all Scripture, how much is Scripture? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Perfect. Does it say that the man of God may be just halfway there or on his way there? What does it say? It says perfect, right? Thoroughly furnished unto all good what? Works. Very clear there. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I wish that more and more of our people would, would know and memorize this other three, verse 16. Okay, that's principle number one. The Word of God is the blueprint. Principle number two. Christ is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Not Peter, not Paul, not even James or Ellen White. However, this doesn't mean that they have nothing to say which is profitable for doctrine or reproof. It just means that Christ Jesus is our prime example for discipleship. Okay? Now, after all, Paul, Peter, excuse me, denied his Savior how many times? Thrice. And Paul admitted that he was a what? Chief of what? Sinners. What the apostles and prophets implore us to do is to look to who? Christ. He is our example and our salvation. In fact, the remnant church of Bible prophecy will fully reflect the character of Jesus and is the embodiment of the scripture, which tells us, this is in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Principle number three. Christ is interested in numbers. We would be denying a fundamental principle of Scripture if we were to claim that Jesus was not interested in getting as many people as possible into the kingdom of heaven. Now, how do we know this? That is found in John chapter 3, verse 17. 
right after one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16. Verse 17 tells us, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Might be saved. So the plan of salvation is the magnum opus of all the acts of God. It gives provision for eternal life for each and every individual that existed. Did you know that? doesn't mean that everybody is going to be saved, but that everyone is given the chance to be saved. God's great love for all was manifested in the cross. What great love. There is no doubt that if all choose to follow Him, God would save every woman, man, and child. Indeed, He is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Principle number four. Christ cannot alter his standards. Because God is not willing that any should perish, and yet he cannot change his law, he asks for all to come to repentance. Because the law of God is really his own character transcribed as a rule of order in the universe he and his law are not separable entities okay we need to make that clear some Christians many Christians in fact try to separate the two like God is separate from his law so his law is can be done away with right but God and His law are inseparable. God cannot arbitrarily discard or change His precepts at whim. They're part of Him. We must not forget that our iniquities are what separate us from God. And because of the principle of free will, God needs us to come to repentance so that we may not perish. Now, Take note of this. Christ did not save us by abolishing his law. Okay? If, if God could have done away with the law, there would be no need for the cross. In fact, if God did away with the law, the sacrifice of Jesus and his death would have been meaningless and unnecessary. Why die to atone for mankind's transgressions when you can simply do away with the law and therefore eliminate the necessity for a legal remedy? Does that make sense? If you could just, if God could have just done away with the law, why sacrifice his son? Now, no serious minded Adventist, or it should be no serious minded Christian at all, we consider that the law was eliminated. However, by teaching that commandment keeping is unnecessary or optional at best, we are essentially supporting the theory that the law can be done away with. And therefore, when we do that, we encourage adverse attitudes to commandment keeping. Does that make sense? Therefore, when we seek to bring the unchurched, those 
who are not part of any church, those who are not Christians, and we call them to come into our fellowship, we should not bribe them with the idea that the Christian walk requires no repenting or that the standards of God can be lowered. And I've seen this many times in many churches and some that I even worked with. God tells us in John chapter 14, verse 15, If ye love me, do what? Keep my commandments. In the response to the measure of love that Jesus has bestowed upon us, he expects a reasonable return. And that is of free will obedience to him. Christ knows our frailty. He understands it. He personally experienced it. And what he requires, he will provide to us. He doesn't leave us helpless. He doesn't leave us in our own strength. Principle number five. While God is interested in numbers, there will still be many in fact, most that will be excluded from the kingdom. Now, it is true that while Jesus wants all to enter into the kingdom, evil cannot be allowed to exist beyond its probation. The universe once and for all will see how wicked evil truly is and that it caused the death of God's only Son, and cause turmoil and persecution of those that believe in his name. Unfortunately, there are still a great many who have become one with evil itself and refuse to part with it. Therefore, God has no choice but to destroy the wicked in the end. But does God relish this? Never. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 tells us, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. So how much pleasure does God have in the death of the wicked? Zero. Zilk. Nada. Therefore, in our mission to bring disciples to Christ, and when we build or grow a fellowship of believers, whether it's in this church or any other church you become involved with, we cannot allow wickedness in our midst. Sin is an enemy, not a friend. While Christ was on this earth, he sadly saw many turn away, unwilling to follow him. And today, too many churches lower their standards to see their pews filled. This is a case of leading people on. If they are asked as Christians, if they are asked as Christ asked, take up your cross, would they be willing to fall in line? Or will they turn away like the rich young ruler did? 
Principle number six. We are all called to be effective. Now, the church contains many classes of people. It is often referred to as the church militant, fighting a spiritual battle. And like an actual army, the church militant is comprised of a structure of leaders, conscripts, and logistical problem solvers. In response to Jesus' call to heal those broken in heart, to bind up their wounds, there are medics working in field hospitals, helping those who seek spiritual healing. It becomes a problem, however, when those in the field hospital forget that there is still a war to fight. There is only the wounded, as far as they can see. On the other hand, those who are called to the front lines need to avoid griping about their wounded comrades in arms, thinking that they're just resting comfy beds and cool rooms. Otherwise, their own effectiveness in battle will wane and decrease. Therefore, an effective army must have a well-organized healing system as well as a fighting force in tip-top shape. The opponent will be forced to retreat because of the overwhelming odds facing him. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 tells us, And put ye on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let us now bring this to a conclusion. Sin cannot abide in a perfect universe because sin in a perfect universe will make that universe imperfect. Does that make sense? Just cannot. It is illogical to have sin in a perfect universe. So therefore, if God were to alter his standard of righteousness and allow sin... He would have to alter himself. Therefore, God, to solve this problem, sent his only begotten son to make provision for all people. This is the quantity part. Now take note of what God did. His solution to the problem of sin was not to eliminate his law. What did he do? He sent who? His only begotten son die and make provision for all people to be saved. In addition to that, God's gift does not end at the cross. Contrary to common belief, He provides the righteousness of His Son. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and this is our scripture reading for this morning, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, Christ's sacrifice not only buys our pardon. Take note of this. Not only our pardon but also affects the changing of our lives into conformity with His. That's even a more wonderful gift than anyone can ever imagine. Not just 
our forgiveness, our pardon, but also the changing of our lives into the likeness of himself. And this is where the quality part comes in. So, to close, while seeking to bring souls into God's church, and we'd like to see these pews filled, we must avoid the temptation to follow worldly custom, culture, and practices. That some may desire quantity and ignoring quality. When we understand that God seeks both quantity and quality, we recognize that questionable methods end up doing more harm than good, as they may bring souls to Jesus, but only in a very superficial way. And these people are what Paul writes of in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. They might be having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Now, my challenge to you, Paul's Valley Seventh-day Adventist Church, is that we bring souls to the foot of the cross, that we may fill these pews with men and women and children who are hunger, hungering for the word of God. God isn't looking for the perfect. Because we'll, we'd be waiting forever. We'll be waiting. People, people's lives will already end. We're, we're waiting for nothing. We're not looking for the perfect. We are looking for those who are perfectible. There is a difference. God cannot work with one group, but he can work with the other. And those who are perfectible are the ones who will reflect Jesus perfectly. And you see that back in the day of Christ. It's like Jesus didn't come to save the righteous, but sinners... And Paul said, of whom I am chief. Now, did that mean that Paul went back to his old ways and did everything, all the sins that he did in his past? No. He said, Christ came to save me. The old man is done away with. I put on the new Jesus Christ. Amen. May we continue with the knowledge that God has entrusted us with this precious truth to bring to the world to what is our primary work and mission as Seventh-day Adventists? To give the three angels' message to the world and to prepare a people for translation. How many people in the Bible do you know were translated? Enoch was one. He pleased God. This was his testimony that he pleased God and was no more to be found. God worked, he let God work in his life so much that he walked a perfect and upright life until he was no more found on this earth. God took him to heaven. This is the kind of people that God wants to take this very day. Now, did it mean that Enoch never sinned in his past? No, because all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. But after he was given the gift of righteousness, 
And after he turned from his previous ways, God was able to work in his life and put on the new man. And from then on, he walked towards perfection. We remember Job. All the trials he went through. And he had every opportunity to curse God and die, right? As he was tempted to do. But he never did. And God, in a testimony, Job didn't claim this for himself, okay? But God said, this is Job. He is perfect and upright. I think that is what each Christian should look forward to. When When that day comes, God can say, here's my faithful servant. Come into the joys my Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your continued presence with us. But we are weak and frail and feeble. We know we can do many mighty things in your name and through your power and through your strength. And though temptations come our way, Lord, we ask that you give us the strength and the power to face each one and conquer in your name. Because this is not for our own, Lord, for our own salvation, but this is so that we may reach others, that they may come to the knowledge of you. They may see the character of your son, Jesus, and each one of us, and they may come to say, I want that as well in my life. But this is the reason why we want to reflect the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we know that your Son died while we were yet sinners. Give us that new man. Give us the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may continue to be a witness to others, not only by word, but also through action. We thank you, dear Lord, for this very, very mighty privilege to give this message to all tongues and people, tribes and nations, that we may prepare, each one of us, prepare not only ourselves, but everyone around us that will listen. Prepare them for translation for your soon, very soon coming. We pray all these things with the forgiveness of our sins, in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.